Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. You're listening to Despacito, a chart-topping global hit by Luis Fonsi that was co-written by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Erica Ender. The two-time Latin Grammy Award winner, Grammy Song of the Year nominee, and inductee into the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame will join us in a few moments to talk about her remarkable career that has yielded more than 40 chart-topping singles. Part one. Well, today, Scott, uh, we have another episode that is brought to us and brought to the listeners and brought to the world by Pearl Snap Studios, our favorite studio anywhere. Yeah, if you have a song in your head or a song in your heart, but you don't know quite how to get it into the form that you would want to play for other people, uh, then you can chat with our friend Justin at PearlSnapStudios.com, and he can help you make a recording of that song that sounds great. And we always talk on here about, you know, if you want a pitchable demo, maybe you're somebody who listens to this show and you're thinking, well, who would I pitch my demo to? But... If you don't want to pitch a demo, but you've written a love song for your sweetheart. Maybe a Christmas gift. A Christmas gift. Imagine how meaningful it would be for your loved one to hear that song that you wrote about them and have it sound like a record they would hear on the radio. And not that you don't sound good, but... No, you do. You probably don't sound as good as Justin. You know, when, when you came out, Scott, and you said... If you have a song in your head or a song in your heart, I thought that sounded very old radio. You know, that sounded like a classic spot. And I, and I thought you could round it out. If you have a song in your head, a song in your heart, don't know what to do, don't know where to start. Now finish that verse for me. Uh, I'm not the songwriter, Paul. You are. I'll put you uh, on the spot. So I frankly wasn't listening to you. <laughs> uh, if you got a song in your head and a song in your heart, don't know what to do don't know what to start. I don't know what you'll do, but I know what you should. Send it to Justin. He'll make it sound good. Wow. That's pretty good, Paul. How's that? That's that's why you're the songwriter. See, now we've got a jingle. (laughs) We do. Maybe we can get Justin to pay us to write a jingle for him. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, we, we couldn't do this episode and so many more episodes without Justin and Pearl Snap Studios. We are so grateful to them. And, you know, there's there's another group of people that we couldn't do this without, and that's our Patreon supporters. And for those of you who maybe haven't listened uh, to the show a whole lot, we have a relationship with Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And if you're familiar with the public radio model, it's very similar. Songcraft is free. You can listen to Songcraft on whatever app you choose, and uh, you never have to pay for it. But if you believe in what we do on this show, if you believe in preserving and presenting these conversations with some of the world's greatest songwriters, then you can help support our mission by visiting Patreon and signing up at different tiers. Um, For just a few bucks a month, you can help us keep the lights on, help us keep these shows going, and you get perks, just like the public radio model. Um, And we've got some folks that have recently signed up within the last few months, uh, especially important during this bizarre dumpster fire of 2020. 20 to, <laughs> to have supporters. It, it makes us feel great and, and encouraged. Um, and we wanted to mention some of those folks and, and let them know how much we appreciate them. Yeah. So uh, I want to throw out the name of Patrick Carson. Thank you, Patrick. We also have Terry Adams, who uh, has signed on this year as a Patreon supporter. We've got Everett Byram III. So Everett, pleasure to meet you. Welcome and to the family. If Everett Byram the second or the fourth would like to join, we would love to have them as well. <laughs> All numbers. <laughs> uh, Wendy Drazdo has uh, joined the Patreon team this year, which we really appreciate. I want to give a shout out to Brendan Ward. Thank you for your support, Brendan. And we discover that I am the one who drew the short straw who gets to mangle the pronunciation <laughs> of our next Patreon supporter. Uh, Rick, I'm going to say Zekelgi now. It's got a lot of Z's in it, and Rick, I apologize deeply. I'm going to take a stab at Rick Zikali. 
that sounds more legitimate than what I said. Yeah. So, uh, Rick, I never claim to be uh, a cultured or educated person. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yes, I, you have. <laughs> okay, I have, but <laughs> pronouncing names is is not necessarily my strong suit. That and and the maths, I'm not great at. So, uh, but Rick, we do very much appreciate uh, your support, and also Brendan, Wendy, Everett, Terry, and Patrick. You guys are amazing. Thank you for helping us do what we do. So. Uh, you know, if you are paying attention to the world of songwriting, um, there is a gentleman who I believe just came into some money who might be interested in supporting us on Patreon. But, uh, Paul, I don't know if you saw the news, but Mr. Bob Dylan has apparently yes. sold his song publishing catalog to Universal Music Publishing. They didn't disclose the amount, but people are estimating it might have been um, $300 million or more, yeah. um, which is amazing. I mean, it, it's nothing going forward but it's everything from you know now to to the beginning so it's the entire bob dylan catalog talk about buying like a huge piece <laughs> of american songwriting Jeez. history i mean that's incredible that universal picked that up but yeah i'm just thinking if bob um has got this 300 million plus from this sale he's probably you know feeling flush right now so if he were to want to join us on Patreon at the $50 yeah. a month level, he would actually be eligible to go get tacos with us after the pandemic, which is one of the perks of the, the top tier. Yeah. Um, so I just want, I wanted Bob to know that, that, uh, that that would be an available perk to him if he would like to invest. Um, and, and if he, if he doesn't want to part with that, then we could just have him on the show and interview him and, uh, um, you know, he wouldn't have to give us anything. Yeah, and, and a couple of those names that we read are in that tier as well. So just so you guys know, we could try to organize a group lunch with mm, Bob. With Bob. <laughs> in no way are we promising things we can't deliver. No, but no, 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 no. If We're, you support us on Patreon, you'll probably hang out with Bob Dylan. Well, one, one thing that you got to know about Bob Dylan is he loves things like that. Yeah, he really does. He his favorite thing is to do what people expect him to. Yeah. yeah. And and to just hang out with people and talk about his songs and answer questions. <laughs> right. So he, he likes to play the star. Yeah. I mean, that's his whole thing, right? So, but yeah, I mean, it, it, so as we're thanking Justin and we're thanking all the Patreon folks, so also thank you to, to Bob Dylan for thank supporting you. us. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Well, you know, somebody that I feel like I should thank personally for making me and the show always seem credible is you, Scott B. Bomar. Oh, wow. You, your accomplishments continue to shine a positive light on everything I do just by a kind of association with you. So I'm going to thank you selfishly. From a place of, of selfish motivation, I thank you for being nominated yet again for a Grammy Award. Do you guys see how I did that? I put myself at the center of the story. <laughs> but really what I want to do, Scott, congratulations, man. Your second time nominated. Uh, Scott, for, for you guys that don't know, um, outside of what he does here at Songcraft is a fabulous writer, uh, writes books on music and also these, these fabulous, well-researched, deep liner notes on these box set um, projects that Scott also produces. So the Bakersfield Sound is a box set that came out last year um, Scott basically put the whole thing together over years of research and then wrote liner notes that were so dang good that the Grammy voters had to say, we're going to nominate these liner notes for a Grammy. It's not the first time it's happened to you. So this is no fluke, no flash in the pan. You, sir, are one of the greats. Well, thank you, Mr. Duncan. That was very uh, nice of you to say that. And it is cool to uh, to be nominated um, I will say this when, when you get nominated for a Grammy, um, you know, people say that thing where, where they go, you know what? It's just an honor to be nominated, even if I don't win. And the first time I got nominated, I could have told you that with the utmost sincerity and with all of my heart and, and meant it. And, and I've had that experience now. And now I want to win. 
<laughs> As you should. <laughs> no, there's actually some some amazing uh, competition this year, including uh, a replacements uh, set that uh, Bob Mayer from Memphis wrote the liner notes for. That is incredible. I'm up against some some stiff competition, and uh, you know, if I if I don't get it this time around, uh, I I will feel at peace with that because there's some some amazing uh, work in there, and it is an honor just to be part of it. I have to to say though. Uh, a friend of mine, when my first Grammy nomination was about five years ago, and uh, I posted on Facebook the day I found out I was nominated, and I said, I'm so excited. I've, I got my first Grammy nomination. You know, everybody piled on with like, wow, that's amazing, you know, and you feel all, all great and everything. I saw a friend of mine a few days later, and he goes, man, I was cracking up at your Facebook posts. And I said, why are you cracking up? And he goes, because... Uh, you said I got my first Grammy nomination. Like, obviously there's going to be others, right? <laughs> and so I like laughed along outwardly. And then inwardly, I was like, you jerk. <laughs> I will get another Grammy nomination. I will make it my life's mission. Just to show you. Just as, so I could be like in your face. Yeah. And so now uh, I have gotten that second one, but it did take five years. <laughs> and I'm quite sure that that guy forgot about that conversation like one minute after it happened. So I feel like if I text him right now and I'm like in your face, he'll be like, what are you talking about? And, I, I, well, if he's know. listening, I'm sure he remembers now. Yeah. So uh, um, really all that to say is that I'm primarily driven by spite. Well, hopefully I can do something to upset you and motivate you for yet another five years of great work. Yeah. Um, what I want to know, because I know the Grammy voting is, is about to get underway. Will they allow poll watchers? Well, it depends on how many feet they want to stand from your computer while you're casting your Grammy votes. But okay. I'll have to research uh, all of that. But I will tell you this. No matter what happens in January, I won. Uh, so, <laughs> Part two. Though best known as the co-writer of the international hit Despacito, Panamanian-born Erica Ender is an accomplished songwriter and singer who has written or co-written more than 40 chart-topping singles. Working in Spanish, Portuguese, and English, Erica's songs have been recorded by artists such as Justin Bieber, Akon, Louis Fonzi, Daddy Yankee, Mark Anthony, Cheyenne, Gloria Trevi, Gilberto Santa Rosa, Prince Royce, and Jenny Rivera. She's one of only two women to write a Spanish-language song that's climbed to the number one spot on Billboard's Hot 100. She's the only Hispanic woman to be nominated for a Song of the Year Grammy, and she was the youngest person ever inducted into the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame. The two-time Latin Grammy winner was named by People in Espanol magazine as one of its 25 most powerful women, and she has carved out an impressive artist career of her own with successful singles such as Abreme la Puerta, Luna Nueva, Cheque el Portador, Qui Insule no Intra, Sigo Caminando, Darnos Un Día, and Te Conozco de Antes. Erica, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you so much. It's great to speak with you. Um, and, and we do want to, uh, in advance, before we even begin, let our listeners know that uh, we are no experts in Spanish pronunciation. So we're going to rely on you today to, uh, to, help, us, uh, to, to help us get by. And, and I'm just going to jump right into the, into the deep end of the pool by starting with a question that's got a Spanish title right here. So, so here we go. Um, right. But earlier this year, you issued a bilingual single as Cosas que Echo de Menos in Spanish. Echo, yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and back to the basics in English. Um, and you wrote that one during this coronavirus pandemic and, and produced that at your home studio there in, in Miami. Um, tell us a bit about the song and, and why it was important to you to deliver that particular message during this time. Because I do think that music is such a powerful tool that could really make a difference in people's life. The, the words, I mean, the lyrics of the song are so meaningful. And we're talking about... Um, essentials of life and I was you know since last year when we created this this song San Luis and me because I recorded it through, uh, when I was in quarantine the English version but we did it before we were watching the we were watching society and we were talking about how today it's better for you to look good and to have a bunch of likes instead of you know telling your your people that you love them 
sticking to your values and doing the best that you can and having the patience to get there because right now everything has to be immediate yeah. you know in the society so we were just observing society and thinking there's so many things that that we miss that, that we miss and how can we just go back to the basics how can we just talk to people through music and let them know what's really important in life which is what has a bunch of value but has no price hmm. mm -hmm. that's great So um, we uh, wrote the song in Spanish originally, which was Cosas Que Echo De Menos. And then when, when um, we were asked to remain in quarantine, uh, we were all very, you know, very uh, worried about what was going on outside. We didn't know what was really going on outside. And I went to my studio, pick up a, a couple of things, you know, my Pro Tools, my MacBook Pro and um, a couple of... Uh, earphones and everything and I said I'm gonna I'm gonna record the English version as well because right now I feel like doing it and yeah. I feel like spreading the message a little beyond uh, the Latino world so I recorded it on my pajamas <laughs> <laughs> in a Sunday morning with all of my heart no makeup nothing just back to the basics that's amazing I'm in my pajamas right now <laughs> <laughs> that's a good side of working from home huh <laughs> Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You have a rich cultural background, having been born in Panama to a Brazilian mother and a Panamanian-American father. Tell us about some of the music you were hearing in your household when you were a young kid. Oh my God, we would stay here for days. You have no <laughs> idea. And not only that, because my grand, I mean my great-grandfather on my dad's side, I grew up with my great-grandparents mm. um, near me. They were, I mean, longevity in my in my. Household is it's eternal, you know, <laughs> longevity. And um, to tell you the truth, on my dad's side, his grandpa was German, married to an Italian, and on the other side, Chinese, married to a Spanish. Wow. And he was born and raised in the Canal Zone, which was American territory. On the other side, my mom is the granddaughter to French and Portuguese, and she was born and raised in Brazil. They mm. met each other in Brazil while they were studying medicine. My dad went to study medicine in Brazil. Uh, they fall in love singing because they didn't know each other's language and music helped them, you know, to connect. Wow. So, um, and on my mom's side, for example, my grandma was uh, an opera singer. And on my dad's side, everyone used to, you know, play an instrument or something. There were music lovers. And besides that, my dad always wanted to be a singer and he didn't do it. So you can imagine how many, <laughs> how many albums we had at home <laughs> out of that, you know, from both, both sides. So I grew up listening to everything you can imagine, from Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Los Panchos, uh, Caetano Veloso, Elise Regina from Brazil, like everything you could imagine, Edith Piaf from France. And that's something that I really, I'm really grateful for, because when you're a little boy or girl, whatever you get to see, you absorb, right? right? And that's part of, of I, I guess, the, the versatility I have nowadays as an artist and as a singer-songwriter because I have all of this music from all over the world in my, in my hard drive <laughs> <laughs> right. that helps me nowadays. And uh, MP345, which is my actual album that I'm promoting right now, is a reflection of that. Well, when you were 16 years old, you won a, a national poetry contest. So you were obviously skilled at putting verses together. Were you already writing songs by that age or, or was your creativity primarily channeled into poetry at that time? Well, I used to do both since I was little, to tell you the truth. But my first song was, was written, let's say that when I started playing with music and lyrics together, putting them together, I had like nine years old. Oh, wow. And then as I grew, yeah, as I grew up, I started writing songs and writing poetry at the same time. And that you're mentioning really changed my life because at 16 is when it, I, I understood 
what a powerful tool art was, you know, words were. And that poem that I wrote was about uh, our first flag that was stilled uh, from the Museo del Hombre Panameño, which is a, um, an historical museum in our, in our country. When we had the, the U.S. invasion, uh, you know, the, the dictator Noriega was um, daring the U.S. and the canal and everything. Um, we had that invasion. And then when that happened, there was chaos all over the country and someone stole the flag, the, the, first, the very first flag. Huh. And it was a national treasure. So I wrote that poem to the person who took that flag away from us, trying to make them conscious of what they did. You know, it was very, a very, very special poem, and I won out of that, um, that work, you know? Mm -hmm. The thing is that a year after, we have, every, every November, we have this parade because it's our independence uh, month. So uh, someone was reading the, the poem because it won the, this contest nationwide, and days after, they gave back the... Um, the flag, and apparently wow. it was, uh, I don't know how to say that in English, secreto de confesión, when you go to a priest and you confess without saying, uh, and they have to, you know, uh, keep your secret. Right. I don't know how to say that in English. I don't either. Com confidentiality, <laughs> I guess. <Yeah. laughs> in, in the Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, Church, and uh, that happened. I would never know if it had something to do, but co coincidentally, it happened right after it was read you know, it was broadcasted nationwide. So wow. from that very moment on, I understood what was my mission in life, which was using my talent for good. Wow. Well, in terms of performing, I, I believe your big break came in 1992 when you sang a song called Has Estado in Panama for a there Venezuelan TV. How'd I do? Is that all right? Uh, <laughs> Has Estado in Panama. Oh, yeah. so much you better. You got a 98. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that was then recorded and released as a single um, from a, yes. you sang it for a Venezuelan TV show and then, and then it was recorded and Correct. released. And th that gave you an mm -hmm. opportunity to represent Panama and, and kind of be a musical ambassador for your country. Tell us a bit about that experience. It was great. It was, I was 16 years old. So, you know, a brand new uh, singer, you know, <laughs> that was my, like my formal debut that, um, that show and um, the thing is that they opened that space for me. I got to sing in, the, in that show. And after that, a bunch of doors started opening and I was, you know, all over different um, events that had to do with Panama. I even sang at the summit for um, presidents of Central America. That's what, that was like my start, my very start and dress with a pollera, which is our national custom. And I was super um, proud of not only singing, but singing in the name of my country. Well, I understand that your first single represented a, a Panamanian rhythm style known as temborera. And you went on... Temborera, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you um, guys did a great homework. <laughs> oh my God, we're going back in yeah, the day, back, back in time. Back to the yeah. day. But you you went on to win the National Tamborera Festival as as best performer with a song called Panama La Verde. For those of us who might not be as familiar, give us a little education on tamborera music. Tamborera music is one of our rhythms. We have several rhythms in Panama. That's a very, let's say, a very sophisticated rhythm ah. that we have among our, our rhythms for us in Panama. And it's, it's super elegant. You get to, you know, um, dance it with the pollera, which is our national custom that I was telling you. And they, uh, we're uh, very uh, proud of our 
of our roots in Panama, especially because we are uh, what we call crisol de razas, like uh, we have a bunch of different races in, in our country mm. because we're we're a port, you know, everyone goes through the Panama Canal. Yeah. So uh, we have people from all over the world and what we tend is for us to to keep our, our, our traditions and everything, especially because Americans were uh, within the country for so many years that we didn't want to lose our, you know, our, our, own, our own flavor. We wanted to add whatever was good from America to our flavor, but we didn't want to miss it. So yeah. there were a, a, a different um, competitions hmm. uh, of, of different rhythms and this kind of, you know, um, traditional events. Right. And I did win in 1993. I was very, very young back then. <laughs> and uh, it was such a special experience. And it, I was like the, the, the black sheep of, the, <laughs> of my friends because they were like, oh, my God, we're listening to Bon Jovi and you're singing tamboreras. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and, I was, and I was listening to Bon Jovi and Michael Jackson as well. But I was very proud of my upbringing. And yeah. since my, all of my family were from different places in the world, what my dad and mom always taught me is to be a citizen of the world, but always know where I came from and hmm. honor that. Well, you know, the songs that we've mentioned so far, these were songs that were written by other people. But uh, we're getting into now into the point where you're writing your own songs. And as a young college student, you placed in the National OTI Festival with an original song called Mar Adentro. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, were you thinking of a career as a songwriter or were you primarily Always. writing songs just for, for yourself as an artist? Always I did both, to tell mm. you the truth. When, since I was very little, I was like nine years old when Conga was taking over the world in the voice of Gloria Estefan. And I remember watching TV besides my mom and telling her, I want the world to sing my songs as well one day. Mm. And I would sit down and, and read the credits you know, of the, of the albums. And yeah. I would ask my mom and dad, who's Diane Warren? Who is Manuel Alejandro? Who is Armando Manzanero? Uh, and I remember that the albums used to say, um, let's, for example, there was a big uh, artist in Spain called, uh, named Rafael, and the album would say, Rafael canta a Manuel Alejandro, which means Rafael sings uh, Manuel Alejandro's songs, you know? And I would ask them, who is this guy that is not in the picture? And they would <laughs> tell me, that's the person who makes the message. That's the person who does the magic so that this, uh, this singer can connect with its audience. And I found that amazing. I was fascinated by that because it was not only to sing it, but to make the message, to translate you know, feelings and words and thoughts into music and lyrics. So uh, I got fascinated by that. And then I started like studying everything I could. I remember reading for hours uh, all the lyrics of, the, of those albums and, and, you know, checking out the credits. And I knew everything. I knew who Quincy Jones was when I was little. I, I knew how everyone was because I was reading everything. Desmond Child as well with Bon Jovi. Yeah. So, uh, and Kiss and everything. So um, I, I got fascinated by that. So I always did that. I, hmm. I was always clear that I wanted to write songs for me for what I wanted to express as a singer-songwriter, and for others who couldn't express, I mean, who couldn't translate those feelings and thoughts into songs in order for me to be like that. Uh, I wanted to tailor um, songs for that people that would were great uh, interpreting the message but not writing it. Well, a lot of fans in Panama really got to know you as a TV personality in the mid-90s when you presented and uh, produced segments for the weekly music program El Mix del Fin de Semana. Um, You were obviously, you know, surrounded by a lot of music just as part of that job. And and I understand you had the chance to interview, you know, different artists, including Shaggy and and Shakira, and and the list goes on. Um, But how did exposing yourself to and, and, and surrounding yourself with so many different kinds of music just by virtue of what your job was at the time how did that kind of help shape your own instincts as a as a songwriter and performer you know i think that everything goes hand in hand you know it it, it really helped me to be the the all-around artist i am today and it was totally an accident for me to get into the tv world because Hmm. when i was telling you about the the president 
Central American President Summit. I was singing in this show and the, the track just stopped while I was singing hmm. and I had to improvise. And there was uh, a TV producer within the audience that went to my dad and said, she has a lot of charisma, I want her on camera. Huh. And I was, I mean, less than 18 years old. Yeah. And I told him, no, thank you so much, but I'm a singer, I don't want to be on TV. And he insisted so bad, he and his partner, his, uh, partner insisted so bad that my dad said, you know, you're not, you're not losing anything if you try it. Just try it and don't, don't quit the music. And that's it. Hmm. And then from that moment on, I started on TV. And I, I, I passed through the three biggest channels, uh, uh, TV channels in Panama in less than two years and stood by the, the biggest one at the end for, for longer, which is where I did the El Mix del Fin de Semana. And that was a great school for me because I knew how to produce. I, I learned how to edit I learned how to post-produce. I learned how to write. I learned everything that had to be uh, had to do with TV. Hmm. And nowadays, I do have a company that creates content and everything. Besides, as an entrepreneur, besides what, everything I do in music. Right. So I think that all that shaped the all-around artist that I am today, and I'm super grateful for that. And also because that helps me a lot when I'm on stage or when I am I have an interview or something. So TV was a blessing in my life, and it still is. Well, after touring with the Reuben Blades Band in your early 20s, uh, I understand that you relocated from Panama to Miami. Um, what drew you to Miami specifically as the place where you wanted to further your career? Gloria and Emilia Stefan since I was little. <laughs> and I always <laughs> tell them that because I remember seeing how they, I mean, they inspired us. They inspired all of Latinos when they crossed over and, and they were so proud of our roots that they were showing our roots to the world. And she, mm. they, I mean, they as a couple did an amazing job. So I said, oh, whenever I grew up, I'm going to go. And Emilio Stefan is going to love my music and he's going to produce me and everything. And there was a wall because <laughs> <laughs> I never got to meet him. And then I started knocking on different doors. And I, I, I mean, I went from being a very popular person in my country after winning all this uh, competitions and being on TV and releasing, you know, my, my single and everything to someone that no one knew in the U.S. Mm. Yeah. So my grand, uh, my mom's um, sister, uh, she opened her, uh, her doors for me and she said, you know, try to pursue your dream here. Start over. And then every single saving that I had, uh, I spent it in, in almost over a year because in the U.S., you know, everything costs and nothing is really cheap. So <laughs> yeah. everything that I had, uh, I spent while I was waiting to, for someone to listen to my music and everything. And I remember going with her uh, to serve a coffee at, her, at the conferences where she was an interpreter. And that was such a humbling lesson as well. You know, out of being what I was, trying to pursue a dream and, and starting from zero. And yeah. um, that was a, the biggest lesson ever. I mean, for I was helping in anything I could yeah. uh, and no ego involved. So <laughs> the thing right. is that finally, uh, after eight months of being in the U.S. and after losing it, uh, losing all, uh, I get a phone call back because I was not, uh, not, not only knocking on, on music of the music industry world, but also uh, the TV world, which was what saved me and, and let me stay here. So Discovery Channel um, was looking for a TV presenter of a, a show called Vida en Línea, which meant Vida Online, when technology was starting to boost. Right. And then I was the one shows among 200 women in order to be the presenter. So ah. that helped me to stay here while I was, you know, still writing songs for other people to sing them. And then yeah. came the big break uh, at the end of 1999, beginning 2000. Yeah, so you were starting to get your songs recorded by several artists, um, including your English language version, Purest of Rain, uh, of the song originally known as Apuro Dolor by the Puerto Rican group Sun by Four. Vida, give me back my fantasy.
that song fell just shy of the top 20 on Billboard's Hot 100 chart and, and was a big splash for you as a songwriter here in the States. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, that was my debut and I cried so much. Now that you guys are making me remember everything from scratch, because usually people don't ask me from that beginning. They just start from the from the success stories, you right. know? <laughs> and I think that everything is a chain. I, everything has to do with the previous step. Right. You don't get there uh, out of nowhere. So when I started, um, you know, writing for others, one of the big breaks was uh, Apuro Dolor, which was my, my entrance in the music world as a songwriter. It wasn't my song. I just wrote the English uh, lyrics of it. But right. it was, I mean, it was still part of, you know, my song as an adapter, you know? Yeah. So the thing is that uh, Apuro Dolor was such a huge hit in uh, all over uh, Latin America. And since it was so big, uh, Sony wanted to, uh, wanted the group to cross over. And they were looking for the English version of the song. And that's something that I really love, you know, the challenge of keeping the spirit of the original song and translating it into a native way of saying it in another language. And though English is not, as you know, my, it's not my first language, it's my, my third, because I was born and raised in Panama, uh, so I speak Spanish. That's the one that I think I speak better <laughs> than is Portuguese from my mom's side. And English is a, a, a learned language that I don't get to practice as much as I would like to. But sitting down and writing gives me the time to, you know, search for the right words and um, and do a better job. So I wrote the English version of that, and that broke in hmm. uh, into the Hot 100, and that was my debut within the U.S. after a year and a half of a very difficult beginning. You know? yeah. So it was a, a very special moment in my life. I remember crying when I heard it for the first time on the hmm. radio. You know, you, you mentioned that dynamic of, of being able to search for the right word because you have the time, you know, when you're sitting writing in English. Is it, uh, is it easier or more difficult to write a song uh, just from the beginning in English and, and start from scratch or to translate a song from Spanish into English? Which one is more difficult? Oh, no, way easier whenever it comes in its original language. Mm. And uh, that's something that it's, you're going to see in MP345, my new album. The songs that you hear in English, they were originally made in English. Ah. Um, whenever a melody comes that sounds in English in my head, I just start writing English lyrics to it. So it's, ah. it's way better to you know, start from scratch. But I, I think it's a challenge, a very um, like a, a, a big challenge for you to translate something that already has a spirit into another language. I love doing that because it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you, you mentioned, Erica, the, the new album that you have coming up. Um, you know, you have worked in, in three languages, as you say. Um, you released a single of your own this year in three different versions, Ate Logo in Portuguese, Hasta Luego in Spanish, and Till Next Time in English. Can take it no more, can do this no more. My body betrays me, I lose all control. The voice inside my head says no when you're calling. And I go right back to falling Won't take it no more Won't do this no more A moment so right Can lead me so wrong I need to stop the way you're driving me blind So we go on and say your final goodbye Goodbye Till next time Your output as an artist has primarily been in Spanish, but for this um, new record that you're working on, you, you mentioned some of the songs are, are English. Is is it uh, a mix of languages, or is that going to be primarily an English language album or Spanish language? What, what's, the, what's the approach this time around? Yeah, there are nine songs. I think that I have four or five in Spanish, I think, and then I have two in Portuguese and three in English. Wow. So, yeah, it's four, two, and, and three. So, but the, the, ones that, the one that you were just mentioning is the only one that has uh, a version in each, each language. It was originally made in, in Portuguese. That's why we released the video in Portuguese first. But the, the versions are going to be standalone singles. Well, looking back again a bit, uh, soon after the cut with Sun by Four, you found additional success with another Puerto Rican artist named Cheyenne. 
uh, co-writing two songs on his Simplemente album, which earned a Grammy nomination for Best Latin Pop Album and was certified multi-platinum in Argentina, Chile, Spain, and the U.S. Um, in fact, one of those songs, Candela, earned you your first ASCAP award as a songwriter. That was like the, in Spanish we call it parteaguas, you know, like the before and after of my comp uh, composer career. That's mm. how I see it. Though before Cheyenne, there were people in, I mean, artists in Mexico and South America that were already recording my songs. He was like the biggest back then. He, Ricky Martin, like they were icons for us in Latin America. So, and I grew up listening to his music and, and, um, you know, autographing his, his albums, mm. I would, I would uh, write, my dear Erica, thank you for uh, writing songs for me. <laughs> and and I, I would imitate his signature and everything. That's how I used to vision, envision right. um, what I wanted since I was little. So it was so meaningful for me uh, to have him recording, I mean, a, a, a song of mine, as um, a before and after in my career as a songwriter, because he was like the biggest regional artist that recorded uh, a song of mine in the beginning of my international career. Hmm. So I wrote those songs with Donato Poveda, who's a very, very talented uh, songwriter and producer as well. And um, it was such a dream come true. I remember crying for three days in a row when I heard that Candela was a single and that was so, so successful as well. Because it reminded me, you know, the little girl that used to dream about him, um, mm. you know, recording her songs. Although you were having a good bit of success as a writer, you released your debut album as a solo artist with Abreme La Puerta in 2004. Um, and you found a good bit of success with the title track of that song, which features kind of traditional elements of guitar and accordion, but it also has a more contemporary pop sensibility melodically and it kind of reminds me of what you were saying earlier of yeah you were listening to Michael Jackson and and Bon Jovi but you were also listening to traditional music um talk a bit about your approach to creating that album and and you know how you wanted to uh present your music as the artist yourself um as you're thinking about you know putting those songs out there for an audience to to meet Erica as mm -hmm. as an artist yeah Back then, uh, fusions were not as popular, you know? And I always, I remember saying everyone, but I'm a fusion. I am the Panamanian and the Brazilian and, and the European and the half American, and I am that. So I yeah. wanna, I wanna stick to what I am. I wanna stick to my roots and do music, you know, that, that has that flavor. I've always tried to be as authentic as possible. And I'm not the kind of uh, artist that follows what's trending you know, but follows her heart and tries to make art out of it and yeah. make a difference in, in people's lives. So it's not that I'm, I'm, I mean, as a songwriter also, I know how, what, what is trending and I have to write songs for others as well, but always keeping the essence of what I think is the, the responsibility of doing music that will last forever. That's the way I see it. So the thing is that back then, back, uh, well, we, we just forwarded uh, from 2000, I think, that was Cheyenne at the end of 2002 mm -hmm. to uh, 200, uh, 2003. Between those um, years, I started, you know, placing songs all over the place with Azucar Moreno in Spain, with people in Puerto Rico and everything. And then I started, you know, like building up my name within the industry. And I said, okay, I think now it's the time to go back to the stage because I started you know, singing yeah. and writing at the same time. But I, I, I like, I kind of stopped singing for those years in order to, um, you know, put the plant, the right seed in the songwriting world, mm -hmm. especially because I was a woman and it was very hard for a young woman to, 
knock on doors and make people understand that a woman could write for a man. I even put in some of the demos that I sent E. Ender and I had to ask a friend of mine, a male friend of mine to sing the demos because when they got it, they, the A&Rs got it, uh, sang by me and with my name, they would say, no, that's too feminine, that, that wouldn't hmm. fit the, the project. So yeah. I was always looking for ways to get into the industry because the song was good. And for mm. people not to see that, that it was a woman, uh, you know, not, not to see it from that perspective, I mean. So uh, the thing is that um, right after I saw that my name was, you know, building up in the industry, I said, okay, I think now it's the right time for me to go back to what I wanted to do at first, which was singing my own songs. And mm. then... I said, I'm going to be the producer of my album. If no one believes uh, infusions and, and all that, uh, that I could put together, that art is limitless and that, uh, you know, maybe mixing things, there could be something refreshing, I'll do it myself. So that's what I did. And uh, that album has, I, I mean, uh, electric guitars that sound like rock and roll with uh, Brazilian <laughs> percussion. And it has the accordion from Panama all mixed together. And it, it, was, it did great in, in several places. I had the summer song of, of Spain with Luna Nueva. Abreme la Puerta made me travel so much. It, was, it did great in Peru, Ecuador, uh, also Chile. I went to the Viña Festival as well with Checa el Portador, which was another song of the, of the album. So it was a, an album that really... Um, made me feel good with myself and my roots and made me feel good with the person as well I am because I stick to what I thought was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, you have released a number of, of albums as an artist, a lot of great material that you've put out as both songwriter and artist. But I want to talk about uh, another one of the highlights of your catalog as a, as a behind-the-scenes writer um, in 2016, you won a Latin Grammy Award for Best Regional Song for Ataúd by the legendary Mexican-American Norteño band Los Tigres del Norte. You know, as as we've been joking about from the beginning, I don't speak Spanish. Um, you but don't? I know. It's shocking, right? Um, it doesn't but, show. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just as there are variations on English around the world and even variations within different regions, you know, even inside the U.S., you know, I would guess that writing songs for Puerto Rican artists or Panamanian artists or Mexican artists um, requires a good deal of skill in terms of kind of capturing the nuances of the language in various countries and, and regions. Um, why do you think, you know, that as a songwriter, you've been able to enjoy so much success throughout the Latin world as opposed to just in Panama or in specific areas? Well, let me tell you, as I told you that Panama is la, a, a crisol de razas, which is a, a mix of a bunch of cultures uh, because of the canal. One of the main reasons is that uh, I got to hear everything. I got to hear music from Puerto Rico and from, you know, Dominican Republic and Mexico, because everything that happens in Mexico is, is heard all over Latin America. Spain, all of that. But to tell you the truth, regional Mexican is another world, totally mm -hmm. different. I never heard that when I was growing up. Huh. So um, regional Mexican is a genre that is so masculine and just for Mexicans, mostly. Mm. Right. And when I came to the U.S. and I saw how successful that genre was here as well, I said, you know what? I want the challenge of writing songs for these people as well and see if I can do it. Yeah. And they have another way of decodifying, you know, the, the communication. But as again, I go back to that little girl that saw the whole world as, you know, one home. We all are part of the same essence. We just have different ways of 
manifesting that. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how they express, you know, how they behave, how they like doing their music. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break in that market, break in. So wow. I did. And uh, uh, my first Grammy was regional Mexican song, best regional Mexican song, <laughs> being a woman and being a Panamanian. <laughs> wow, nice. That's nice. amazing. Well, you won another Latin Grammy for Song of the Year in 2017 for a song that I'm sure all of our listeners are very familiar with, a song called Despacito, um, a global hit that topped the charts in nearly 50 countries and tied the record for most weeks at number one on Billboard's Hot 100 chart after a remix version with Justin Bieber. Sorry, I did that on purpose. I wanted to mess up his name, too. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought everyone should have a mispronunciation. That song went through several iterations to get to the hit we know today. But tell us about the day that you and artist Luis Fonsi wrote the original version. Yeah, Fonsi and I, we've been friends for like forever. We've written songs together. We've um, even, there were previous singles that he had in his career that were written by both of us together. So um, he calls me one day and tells me, Erica, whenever you're around let's sit down and start writing for my new material i would love to do something with you and i said okay perfect so i went to his house um we we even had a coffee first because back then i was more in in la pursuing that crossover in english <laughs> you see how <laughs> life is so ironic and i went back to miami to write a song that made the crossover globally in <laughs> spanish that's crazy right, <laughs> so, right. The thing is that um, I went to his house, we had some coffee, we were chatting for like an hour or so, and then we went to his, some, to his studio, to his room studio, and uh, studio room, I'm sorry. And then he tells me, since this morning, I've had this in my head, what do you think? And he sings to me the first line of the chorus. He sings to me, despacito, and he tells me, I want to write something like, vamos a hacerlo en una playa en Puerto Rico, which means... Let's make love in a Puerto Rican beach, you know? And then I answered, hasta que las olas griten, ay bendito, and started laughing, which means until the waves uh, scream, ay bendito, which is a, a, um, a very common uh, expression they have in Puerto Rico. Hmm. So out of that idea, we started, you know, writing the song from scratch. No beats, no production, nothing. It was just a guitar, Fonsi and me writing something that we wanted to be special for him so that he could, he could transition from the pop balladist that he was very well known uh, in, in Latin America for that, for that genre. But he wanted to upgrade himself, you know? I mean, change a bit to what was going on out there, which was mainly the urban um, fusion, urban pop fusion kind of uh, music. And right. uh, that's what we did. We, we kept his, um, his vocals, because if you hear Despacito, I mean, it's not a, like a rap or something. It has melody. It lets people listen to his uh, range of voice, voice range. And um, at the same time, we were, you know, very careful with the lyrics because urban and reggaeton might be, sometimes might be very aggressive with women. It mm. could even cross the line to vulgar, and that's something I, I don't like doing, and I, I hope I'd never do because it's not part of my essence. And yeah. I always like to, you know, respect women and respect humanity. It doesn't matter if it's a song to, to have fun, if it's sensual, if it's whatever. I always try to make sure that whatever, every word that I'm putting there or, or that I'm co-writing with someone else has a special message. And this had a special message of, you know, having a little more patience in a world that is that everything has to happen immediately, hmm. you know, in this new society. So I think that people um, uh, loved it 
from the beginning, he loved it, I loved it, but we were ne never expecting it to be the huge hit it became all over the world. We thought we had a hit for Latin America. Not that yeah. a song, as, I mean, a, as full of words as, is, as, as it is, without a choreography like Margarena, and, you know, the way it was, we never thought it would, you know, cross over the world. It's interesting to think about, you know, two people sitting in a room writing that song with a guitar um, because, you know, the the version that was released uh, by Luis Fonsi and, and Daddy Yankee, I mean, is very produced and, and it's got such a cool vibe. Not only is it a great song, it's also a, a great record. Um, were you in the well, it, in the studio it, it when they were like five different? No, 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 no. That's totally Fonsi's credit. Because hmm. we did the song from scratch out of a guitar. We knew that we wanted, uh, you know, urban rhythms and everything. And he yeah. went to look for the producers. I think it went through five different arrangements. He was showing me every step of the way. But I wow. let him do his thing because he was producing. And, and also it was his record. So yeah. um, my job was to, you know, translate those feelings and thoughts into music and lyrics. And they just produced it after that. Yeah. But um, the thing is that I think it went through five different arrangements or so. <laughs> wow. And besides that, Daddy Yankee came in as a featuring and he did a great job adding his rap and the pasito, pasito, the post chorus, was, which was genius. We didn't have that before. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Bieber fell in love with the song like four, four months after it was released. We were already in the top 40 of uh, the Hot 100, but he took us to number three. And then to number one for like I uh, 16, um, 16 weeks in a row. Yeah. And um, we were, I mean, I'm super grateful that he decided to record the song mostly in Spanish because he, he would puber, uh, did a, a little verse in English at the beginning, right. but he kept the, the essence of the song and, you know, went into the studio, I think it was on a, on a Thursday night or so, and on Monday it was already released. Because the song wow. was so big that it had to be as fast as possible, you know? Yeah. So it gave him like a second air. It was already a number one in several places, but then that like kind of let mainstream know better about the song. And well, the rest is history. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen moments uh, in pop music, re recent pop music history where um, where Latin artists or Latin songs have really kind of made a, a huge splash in the in the global mainstream. You know, I think of, you know, you mentioned Gloria Estefan. I think of Ricky Martin. I think of Enrique Iglesias and, and Jennifer Lopez. Th this song became the most watched video in the history of YouTube. I mean, we're uh, an, an insane global sensation. Uh, you're obviously a very humble person. I can tell by the way you you know word things. But just if you could pull the the perspective back a little bit and look at it from the outside, what impact do you think that this song had on pop music in general in terms of bringing Latin music into the mainstream in such a big way? Amazing, amazing, and I think that that was one of the main missions the song had. But we cannot forget about everything you have mentioned because everything, as I was telling you at the beginning of the, the, the interview, is a chain, you know? Mm. And if you go back to La Bamba and you go back to Rita Moreno and, and people that have been Latinos in the mainstream world, either, I mean, on the radio or on, in Broadway or what, wherever, uh, there's a path that was already, you know, um, paved by others and Gloria Stefan and Emilio did an amazing job by showing the world our rhythms and then Ricky Martin came in and he was showing our rhythms as well and Jennifer Lopez and all that but um, there wasn't a crossover in Spanish itself and mm -hmm. Despacito did that so I think it was like cherry on top of those um, of all of, all of that big cake that was being prepared throughout <laughs> decades and um It's amazing, but right now, for example, last year I got the opportunity of going to Australia to work and also I went to the Middle East and I went to London and several other places and you turn on the radio and you not only listen to Espacito but others, other colleagues that also speak and, and sing in Spanish. So that's amazing and I think that it was the biggest mission that this song had, you know, to yeah. show off Spanish to the world. Well, you released your own version of Despacito on your 2018 album Tatuajes. Did I say that right? Yes. 
Oh, good. You guys are improving. I'm so, <laughs> oh my God. So proud um, of you. But, you know, that your version of Despacito really showcases the song in more kind of a stripped down piano ballad version. I think that's a great way for people to kind of understand, you know, listening to that, how you can write a song and then that song can can take different forms in the studio. And, and you know, what's so cool about it is you strip out all that amazing production and it, what's still left is the the foundations. Is, it's just a great song, you know, and 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 no matter how it's it's cast. Um, but I really like that that album. I think it, it it's got a really cool vibe. And I want to ask you actually about another um, beautiful ballad on that album, um, Te Canasco de Antes. That song is, I think it's very special for a reason. Everyone connects with it right away. And it's kind of talking about, it kind of talks about, you know, uh, soulmates. I think that whenever you, you meet someone that has a lot in common with you, there's, um, there's ways you want to use to express how happy and how comfortable you feel with that person. And this song is a good translator of that feeling. Um, I didn't, I didn't really release it as a single. I just did a very quick video for social media and, uh, for my YouTube channel. And it's super simple and rarely it just, you know, got to two and three million like overnight. Because people, I think that people that are still falling in love nowadays needed something to express that special feeling. And for some reason, it, it clicked with people so fast. Well, in 2017, you became the youngest writer ever inducted into the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame. And that includes um, so many other luminaries, some we've spoken about and some we haven't yet. But we're talking about Jose Feliciano, Julio Iglesias, Gloria and Emilio Estefan, Antonio Carlos Jobim, Tito Puente, and the list goes on. Um, Talk about what that honor meant to you personally. It was so special. And you know why? Um, It was my 25th year. Uh, I mean, my 25th anniversary, the 25th anniversary of my career. And that's the same year that everything happened because right before Despacito exploded, I was already announced as the youngest ever in the Songwriters uh, Hall of Fame. I was 42 back then. And uh, I, I was super happy because it's what I share with, uh, with the new generation. Whenever you're focused early in life and you work hard for what you want to achieve, you can get results early in life. So I got into this Hall of Fame when I was 42, among other people who were like 80 and 60, and it was such a blessing, you know? And then right after that is announced, Despacito exploded and they gave me an extra award uh, in October because of, of Despacito. So everything aligned. And it was such a special moment for me to um, confirm how important it is for you to have clear goals, go after them, um, get the results uh, you, you need to deliver and collaborate with others and having the humbleness of thank every step of the way because with everyone that said no, with, uh, w- without any, uh, everyone that said no, without everyone that had said yes and with every single lesson learned throughout this way, that wouldn't have been, you know, mm. possible in such such an, an early stage of life. Well, Erica, thank you for for this uh, conversation and for your patience with our uh, Spanish pronunciation. This was a lot of fun yeah, to, to speak so with you. So proud of you guys. So proud. <laughs> Keep it up, <laughs> and thank you for your time and your great vibes. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. 
Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. Solo con pensarlo se acelera el pulso. Ya, ya me estás gustando más de lo normal. Todos mis sentidos van pidiendo más. Esto hay que tomarlo sin ningún apuro. Despacito, quiero respirar tu cuello despacito. Deja que te diga cosas al oído. Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo. Despacito, voy a desnudarte a besos despacito. Firmar las paredes de tu laberinto y hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito. Quiero ver bailar tu pelo, quiero ser.